Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to start in just a second. Philippians chapter 1. I want to welcome everybody again. This is your first time. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, the North Shore family, those of you who are here every single week, man, what an honor it is to be able to serve as your pastor. Uh, this is actually a message that I've preached before, going through this week. Uh, I, I had something prepared. We were going to talk about getting back to boring and uh, preparing for the Wednesday night uh, teaching and looked at an old sermon that I, I had put together. And I just really felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to, to preach this today. And um, just one of those things. I don't know why. I just felt like that's what the Lord was saying. And so we're going to be obedient to the Lord. And so I preached this message probably three or four years ago. Um, so if it is familiar, uh, then good for you. You were listening the first time. If not, then it'll be fresh and new. And so um, we'll get going. Philippians chapter 1. It starts in verse 3. Paul is saying this. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, so I know some of you are looking up your scripture and, and uh, getting your app open and, and finding it on, on your app there. But I want you to hear this next line. So I want you to really key in on what he's saying. Paul says this. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he, talking about God, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, look, I'm convinced of something. I, I'm, I'm assured of this, I'm confident of this, that he, God, who began the good work inside of you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, like, I'm, I'm confident of this, I am assured of this, I know that God will bring this to completion. He didn't just start a good work in you and then abandon you, he, the one who started it, is the one who will bring it to completion. Paul says, like, I'm convinced of this. Have you ever seen on TV commercials of like Play-Doh commercials? Anybody ever seen those? Those things that they have like 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds and they're putting together these Play-Doh masterpieces. They got these mold makers. They're making like McDonald's french fries and hamburgers and they look like the real thing. They look like you could eat them and they're mixing all these colors perfectly and then you buy the toy or you get it and you're playing with it with your kids. You're helping them out and you realize that Play-Doh doesn't mix. Yes? And you know that they lied to you on that commercial. Like you could never create, no 10-year-old is creating those things that they're creating on those commercials. Or we have one, it's a, it's a My Little Pony and and the picture of it has all of these different colors of hair coming out, and that's impossible. You put different colored hair in the mold maker and squeeze it through the thing, you're going to get brown hair. Like, you're not going to get all these perfect colors that are mixing together. And so, so these people, they lie to you. But you want to create what you see on TV. You want to create what you see in the box. My kids, they, years ago, they got this stuff called Mundo. It's like Play-Doh. It's a little different, but it's the same concept. And they got it for Christmas, and... They got this mold maker, it's a farm set, and you, you push this Mundo in, you shove it in the mold, and then you crank it, and it shoots out like a, a cow or a horse or a sheep or something like that. And then you have all these other things that you can make, like hay bales and fences, and so they said, Daddy, will you help us? And so I said, yeah, and, and we're sitting there, and kind of the OCD that, that hits everybody when it comes to Play-Doh is keep the colors separated. You know what I'm talking about? 
And so we got all the colors separated, and they're saying, Daddy, help us, and I'm, I'm making this, and I'm creating exactly what I see on the box. I'm making the molds, and I'm trimming off the edges. I mean, I'm not an artist, but this literally was a masterpiece. It was beautiful. And the kids are watching me. Daddy, can I help? Just a second. I'm putting this in. Daddy, can we, just a second here. Let me fix this. And uh, Daddy, can no, just wait. And, and I, I just got this masterpiece. And finally, the Daddy, can you help turned into uh, Daddy, let us finish. And so I had it basically done. It was like 95% done. I said, okay, you guys can go ahead and finish. And I walked out of the room. I was gone for maybe 15 minutes. It felt like two. I come back in to check on, on them and, and what they're doing to my creation and my heart just sunk. It looked like the zombie apocalypse had run through my Mundo farm. It was just mayhem and chaos everywhere. And colors were mixed and, and cows were squished. And it was just, it was a nightmare. And I'm sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. That he who started it will bring it to completion. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make as believers, and I'm talking to Christians, those of you who have committed your life to Jesus and you would identify with the name of Christ, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make as believers is to recognize and celebrate and, and sing about the good work that Jesus began in us and then look at God and say, I'll take it from here. You did a good, you got me started, right? I'm, you sent me down a good path, but I'm just going to take it from here. Like, thank you for all you've done here, but, but I've got this. For some reason, we in, interpret the scripture to say, and he who began a good work in you will hand it over to you so that you can finish it on your own. That's not at all what scripture says. I'm confident of this. I'm sure of this. I'm convinced of this, that he, God, who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it, will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. You see, oftentimes we pray before our wedding. You know, that's the time where you get real spiritual or like, man, it, this could either be the best decision I've ever made in my life or the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. And so you're praying, you want to know that this is right. You go see Christian counselors, premarital counseling, and you're like all in with God. And then you say, I do. And, and then you leave the reception and then you look to God and say, God, thank you for bringing me here. I'll take it from here. Oftentimes, you'll, you'll, kids who will get ready to graduate high school or college and they're trying to make some bigger life decisions and they're really praying and seeking God's direction about where to go and finally they make a decision and say, thanks God, I'll take it from here. I got this. You get a job or a promotion that you've really been praying for, you've been fasting for it, believing that God's gonna bless you with it, you get it, you say, thanks God, I got this. I, I, I'll take it from here. You have a baby growing inside of mama's belly and and parents, they pray over that child, and they ask God to, to intervene, and man, God, we want a healthy baby, and, and make them smart, and beautiful, and kind, and, and athletic, and all those things that you pray over them, and just let them know you, and follow you, and then once that baby's born, it's like, I'll take it from here, I'll take it from here, I got this, thank you, you did like that part, and, and they're healthy now, I'm good, I'll take it from here. Maybe you've been praying for healing and then God heals you and then you're done praying. I'll take it from here. Maybe you've got, gone through a divorce or you're going through a messy divorce and you've really been praying that, that the Spirit of God would intervene and um, that uh, you, know, you would be able to get through this and you would know how to manage like kids and resources and, and assets and those things. And then once that divorce is finalized, you think, you know what, I'm done. I'll take it from here. Thanks, God, for everything you've done. I'll, I'll take it from here. As a nation, 
we started with our, our foundation set in Christ. It was a very biblical foundation, and, and it was a God-honoring nation, and there was anointing, and there was direction, but at some point along the way, we looked to God, and we said, God, you know, thanks for all you did at the beginning, but we got this from here. Let us finish this. We will take it from here. And it doesn't take long for us to make a mess of the good work that Jesus begun. Yes? We mess things up real quick. All the good work that, that God has done, all the good things that he has set in motion, when we take over, when we take control, it doesn't take us very long to, to change things. And for unbelievers, those who haven't um, committed their life to Jesus and wouldn't identify themselves as Christians, oftentimes will get so frustrated with Christians. And you may be here. You may be here today and you're not a believer and we're, we're singing and we're making a big deal about Jesus and you feel a little bit like an outsider because you don't know why we would do this and stuff like that. And, and you have some questions and it feels a little odd to you. That's fine. And uh, you are here and you think, man, the, the thing about Christians that bothers me is that they're hypocrites. And, and we try to get up here and say, no, we're not hypocrites. The reality is oftentimes we are hypocrites because we, we oftentimes mess this up because we are constantly battling this, this fight, this inclination, this, this trend or, or us are leaning into telling God what you've done is good but let me take it from here. And every time we tell God stop, you're done, I'll take it from here, we keep messing things up. We do. Today I want to talk to you about sanctification. If salvation is the beginning of the good work that God does in us, the, the regeneration, the new birth, being born again, us committing our life to Jesus, if salvation is the beginning when we have new life in Jesus Christ, when we claim him as our savior, if salvation is the beginning, then sanctification is the completion of the work. Salvation is where we start Sanctification is the rest of the journey. It's the completion of that work. So in the remainder of our time today, I, I want to do my best to help us better understand what sanctification is and how it works in our lives. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, number one is what sanctification is. I know it's not great grammar, but we'll go with it, right? What sanctification is. I've seen sanctification defined this way. That it's an act of separating ourselves from evil and identifying with things that are good, upright, and morally pure. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? It's, it's really the process that you go through when you come to the place where you stop doing bad things and start doing good things. Don't be bad, be good. Stop doing bad, do good. It seems like a, a really easy process. Easy, I can do that. But as Christians, we are really good at taking the difficult road. We're really good about making simple things extremely complicated. There have been times when all of us in our Christian walk begin to focus more on the do's and don'ts of Christianity rather than the who of the relationship. So there many of you, I, I would submit all of you, have had that time in your life when you've been more focused on what you ought to do and what you ought not to do rather than Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can, can you relate to that? Anybody in here? So you've been there. You've been there. And, and we, what we do is we get ourselves all worked up by watching what somebody else is doing. 
We, we get frustrated by watching what somebody else is doing. We get frustrated watching what somebody else isn't doing. And we forget about the one who is responsible to complete the good work inside of us. So what we begin to do is we begin to focus on all of these other secondary things. And we lose sight of who Jesus Christ is. And I believe that it's the teaching of sanctification... This process of becoming more like Christ that the enemy twists, perverts, and manipulates to, to create tension and dissension within the church. So the way the enemy operates is he, he never creates anything on his own. He's not a creator. He's a manipulator. And so I believe that the enemy takes this teaching, this concept of sanctification becoming more like Jesus, letting go of the bad, holding on to the good, and, and he will twist it, and he will get our minds focused off of Jesus and onto the do's and don'ts. And so sanctification, before too long, becomes legalism, and in that process, the enemy has done major damage to the church because we're so focused on the evil and the good and letting go of the sin and, and doing those things that we feel like give us brownie points or, or star stickers on the heavens chart, and we forget to focus on who Jesus is. Let's read our current definition again. It says this, an act of separating ourselves from evil and identifying with things that are good, upright, and morally pure. So here's the problem. For so long we have tried and tried and tried to separate ourselves from evil, to let go of evil. Because that's what we think sanctification is. But in this, we're focusing on the wrong things. Think of it like, like a compass. And, and what we do is when we try to turn from sin, it becomes really difficult to try to turn from sin. So, so we do our best to try to turn from sin. Excuse me, but, but we turn here and we realize there's sin. And then we turn, there's sin, and there's sin, and there's sin, and there's sin. And everywhere we turn, we keep turning back towards sin. We can't ever turn from sin because it's everywhere. The only thing we can do to turn from sin is turn towards the cross. We can't turn from sin. We can just turn towards Jesus. And the reality is sanctification has very little to do with evil and everything to do with Jesus Christ. It's funny to think about all the phone calls over the years that I've had in ministry, emails, text messages. I, I think of the, the trips that we would take as youth pastors and we'd be driving down the road and the conversations that we would have. Oftentimes, people would begin to ask me, um, what is sin and what isn't? What is it okay that we can do? What can't we do? And so most of those conversations is, were consisted of, is it a sin to, and then they would just fill in the blank, whatever they had questions about. Pastor Chris, is it a sin to smoke? Because it doesn't say it in the Bible. You know, and so that's one of those like, you know, is it a sin to smoke or not? Pastor Chris, is it a sin to smoke pot? It's legal, you know? And they want to know all of these questions. Is it a sin to cuss? Is it a sin to drink without getting drunk? Is it a sin to kiss, Pastor Chris? Not kiss me, no, but <clears throat> sin, comma, Pastor Chris. That was the, that was the dictation. But they want to know, like, what can we get away with? Like, can, can you kiss if you're dating and in high school? Like, like, can we hug? Is it okay to side hug? Is it okay to front hug? Is it like, like, is it okay to dance? Does it have to be space for the Holy Ghost? Like, what do we have to do? 
If you're watching a movie, can you have a blanket? And, and all this stuff. They want to know what is sin. And, and, and I get it, right? They ask questions like, Pastor Chris, is it a sin to watch a movie that has nudity in it as long as it's not pornography? I mean, come on, right? I understand why we ask those questions. I, wonder, I understand why we go in that direction. But there is a flawed thinking in it because we are too focused on the sin and we stop focusing on the Savior. And as we begin to focus on Jesus, then he begins to guide and direct all of those other things. And that sin part of it doesn't even become a question. It doesn't become an issue because we're so focused on who Jesus is. And through subtle manipulation, we as believers, we begin to do this. We focus on the sin or what we think is sin, and we stop focusing on the Savior. The one who has promised to complete the good work he's begun in you, if you'll let him. If you stop kicking him out of the process, if you don't say, hey, you done good, I'll take it from here. Sin is in our nature. It's in our DNA. We are sinful beings. We're born this way, and it's only by the grace of God that we are saved. Again, we can't turn from sin. We turn to Christ. We know this. So it becomes interesting why we rely on Jesus to come in and do the work at salvation, but at sanctification say, I'll take it from here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. I want to read that again. Listen, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. It doesn't say, may the God, um, along with you and your best efforts, sanctify you. Now, may the God uh, give you a plan and you go ahead and, and finish the process of sanctification. No, it, it's very clear in this. May the God of peace himself, because your best efforts at salvation fell radically short and your best efforts through sanctification fall radically short, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul says in Philippians, like, man, I'm convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he says here, he will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will sanctify you. So before we go any further this morning, I think it's important for us to adjust our definition of sanctification. See, the word sanctify comes from a Greek word, hagazio, and it literally means set apart or to make holy. Set apart or to make holy. Yet there is no thing that we can do, there's no good deed that we can do, and no effort on our own could we accomplish sanctification. We can't do enough good things to make us holy. That's all God's work. Yet in our arrogance, we often think that sanctification is about us, is about our efforts, is about us gritting our teeth and making right decisions and doing the right thing, even when it gets boring. We think that sanctification is about behavior modification and not about God's ongoing grace in our lives. But the reality is the only way we have the ability to walk in holiness is by God's grace active in our lives on a daily basis. At salvation, we are set apart. At salvation, we are identified with God's righteousness. God looks at us and he sees us right and holy in his eyes. That happens immediately at salvation. But at sanctification, 
when we apply the blood of Christ to our lives daily, it's the maturing, growing process. It's both an event and a process. Christ sets us apart at salvation and continues to set us apart daily as we cling to him. And the harder we hold on to Jesus, the quicker we let go of those things of this world. Think of it like the monkey bars at a playground. Remember when you were on the monkey bars in the playground as a kid and, and you were really struggling to get across? The order in which you did the monkey bars was important. You had to get the order right because as you're hanging there on the monkey bars, you can't let go of what's behind you until you grab first what's in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? So you have to reach out and grab what's before you before you let go of what's behind you. And so just in that same way, we need to change the priority from letting go of sin to grabbing on to Christ. Because as you begin to progress, as you begin to mature, as you begin to move forward, as the more you grab on to Christ, the more you are free to let go of that sin behind you. You're not turning from sin, you're grabbing on to Christ and you're realizing that he is all you need and he will fulfill every heart's desire that you have and you don't need to hold on to that stuff anymore because you have Jesus. The order is significant. The letting go of sin is not by grit, it's not even by decision, it's a natural byproduct of holding on to Jesus. And so to answer those questions, is it sin too, can I do this? The answer is always just grab on to Christ. Hold on to Jesus. Grab on to him tighter than you were before. Make it a more intentional effort to be like Jesus and then he will begin to deal with all of those questions that you have on what's sin and what isn't. You see, sanctification isn't about the absence of sin. It's about the presence of Jesus. We have five kids. Um, my wife and I, we have five kids, and <clears throat> there are certain aspects of their birth that were all the same. Melissa had uh, C-sections on, on all five, and so our, our experiences were a little different. They're very good. Our experiences were a little different. And, and so the first one was an emergency. After that, it was like scheduled. It was kind of cool. Does Tuesday work for a baby? Yeah, let's do it. Tuesday's fine. You know? And so everything was the same, and, and you go in there, and, and Melissa's laying there, and they have the curtain and the tent and everything going on, and, and, and I'm giving play-by-play, oh, the baby's there, and, you know, hair and all that stuff, and, and looking down and checking on Melissa and making sure she's... I, the dad's job is just to basically don't get in the way, you know? And, and it happens the same way every time the, the, the baby comes out, and the nurses are just amazing. They're like ninjas. They take the baby and they flip it around. They twist it and they shove things down their throat and their nose and they're sucking things out and they're wiping them off and like don't hurt it. It's a baby, remember? But they're like doing all this stuff and they're taking the baby over here to the table and they're getting measurements and weight and putting the, the, the footprint on the paper and, and every time, because this happens in every room, that, that there's something about the second you put the foot on the paper to get the footprint, the baby pees. It's like the switch and they're just peeing over everything and, and I'm laughing and I'm telling Melissa, oh, he just tinkled on the thing and stuff like that and it's just, it's just a fun deal and, and it's basically the same every time. And then they say this, the nurses always say, okay, Dad, what's the name? And I feel like that's too much pressure to ask and put on the dad. I wanted to say, look, Melissa's right there. Ask her as if she hasn't done enough. She's just laying down, you know? So 
So, uh, um, and we've always talked about the names, and I'm certain, like 98% that we've agreed on this name unless something's changed. And so I would always answer that question with a question mark. Okay, Dad, what's the name? Phoebe? Like looking to make sure, like, she didn't yell at me. Well, let's go with Phoebe. Let's, we'll call it Phoebe. Yeah. And then, to make matters worse, she says, okay, spell it for me. Now, I, man, I'm instantly, you know, transported back to, like, those third grade spelling bees where I'm like, oh, my goodness, your mind goes blank, you know? Like, spell it, spell Phoebe. And uh, I, could you use that in a sentence, please? <laughs> your daughter, Phoebe. How do you spell her name? Oh, okay. And, and, and just, man, I'm thinking, F-E-B-E doesn't sound right. So I'm like, Melissa, P-H-O-E-B-E? I'm looking at her. She's like, ding, ding. Yeah, good, good. Next round. Let's go. And, and, and so I'm always nervous about that. I hate that part of it. And then they'll always ask the second question is, um, and the last name? Johnson. That's easy. What, and and what, what do we, how do you spell that? That's easy. I, I don't sweat that. I don't, I don't stress out over that. It's, it's simple. J-O-H-N-S-O-N. There's no doubt in that last name. See, their first names are their own, but that last name identified them with me. That last name meant that they belonged to me. That last name, Johnson, meant that they were mine. And for me, that's something really cool and, and, and really sort of terrifying at the same time. You see, when Titus was born, on November 11, 2008, he shared my name. He had my name. He was identified with me. But in that moment, in his birth, there wasn't much else about him that looked like me. He's a baby. And people always go, oh, man, he has your eyes. He has your nose. He has your... No, he doesn't. He's a baby. He looks like a baby. Like they have a squishy face, right? My face wasn't squishy. They, they, have, they have these little squinty eyes. You know how babies are? Like, open your eyes, baby. You know, they, they, all babies have these squinty eyes and they're looking around and stuff like that. My, my eyes are wide open. You see, there's, there's not much about this baby that looks like me. The babies are so cute and they have this baby soft skin and I'm a, little, I'm a little scratchy on the side. Not super scratchy. I'm not that much of a man. Just a little scratchy on the side. You know, you look at these babies. They, they're just this blob of like flailing flesh and I'm in pretty well control of my I can do this you know kind of stuff on purpose um you know you look at that baby that baby has no teeth and I unfortunately I or fortunately don't live in Kentucky so I do have teeth and so so that baby doesn't look like me it's okay they say the same joke but they use Nebraska it's fine we have an agreement that baby can't walk think about this that baby can't walk can't use his legs, I can do all of this kind of stuff. There's nothing about that baby that looks like me. The first thing that that baby did on the table over there was pee on the documents. I did not. <laughs> There's not much about us that looks similar. And it would be pretty stupid if somebody came into that room and said, Chris, that child is not yours because it doesn't look like you. I'd be like, it's time to go, man. Those are fighting words. Yes, you know what I'm talking about? He doesn't look anything like you. Look, you have teeth, you have hair, you can use your arms and stuff. That baby doesn't look anything like you. You see, in that moment, we share a name. 
But pretty much that's where the similarities end. We don't share much else. Everything else about us looks radically different. And I wonder if Jesus doesn't get frustrated when older, mature believers come into a room or a church and find a brand new Christian, somebody who has just recently given their heart to the Lord, a baby Christian, and get so frustrated when mature believers say, he's not a real Christian. She's not a real Christian. Well, why would you say that? They gave their heart to the Lord. God did an amazing work in their life. Well, they're not a real Christian because they don't look anything like Jesus. Of course. It's just a baby. Well, they don't talk like Jesus. They don't sound like Jesus. They do bad things like, like there's still sin in their life. Of course there is. It's just a baby. Just a brand new believer. But as, as Titus grows, as he matures, he's going to look more and more like me. And I'm not just talking physically, although that wouldn't be a terrible thing. Come on. But what I'm saying is, is he's going to begin to talk like me. He's going to use the same phrases and terminology that, that I use. When the, the, the phrases that I use to discipline him are, are going to be the same phrases that he uses to discipline his child, even though he promises himself that he won't say the same words that I say. And then he's going to be mad at himself because he sounds just like his father. You know what I'm talking about? He's going to think like I think. What makes me happy is going to make him happy. What makes me sad is going to make him sad. He will express love in the same way that I express love. Over time, he'll begin to think like me. We'll have the same attitudes and, and, and all of this stuff. How he responds to situations are going to be reflected on how I respond to situations. His joys will be my joys. His fears will be my fears. And my plan is to spend so much time with Titus that as he grows up and, and when he's older, there will be absolutely no doubt whose child he is. There'll be no doubt who he belongs to. You see, at birth, he shares my name. But as we spend time together and in the closeness of our relationship, he will begin to share my nature. Not just my name, but my nature. Sanctification works the exact same way. Think about this. At the moment of salvation, when we are born again, we are set apart, we are declared holy in the sight of the Lord Jesus, we take on his name. We share his name. But in that moment, we don't look like Jesus, we don't sound like Jesus, we don't think like Jesus, we don't love like Jesus, we don't forgive like Jesus, we don't sacrifice, sacrifice like Jesus. Nothing about us looks like Jesus. But over time, as we begin to live in close intimacy, in relationship with him, we begin to take on his nature. And isn't this good? And scripture says this in a way that it frees us up from the pressure to have to do this on our own. Yes, we have to make choices, but Paul says, God's gonna do this. God's gonna develop character inside of you. God's gonna develop integrity inside of you. God, the Holy Spirit is going to do this, so don't kick him out of the process. In salvation, we share his name. In sanctification, we share his nature. So don't get frustrated when new believers don't look like Jesus. You didn't either at the beginning. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like him. It has nothing to do with turning from sin. All of that stuff is just a natural byproduct of turning towards Christ. 
The second thing is how sanctification works. I don't know about you, but this sounds great to me, and it doesn't seem like it's all that difficult. We think, I can do this. We can make this happen. To become more like Christ and to share his nature sounds like good news. It, it sounds really exciting. It doesn't seem all that hard. Except for the fact that we have a sinful nature inside of us that is at war with the very idea of sanctification. And it's a daily battle. There's a sin nature in us that, that if every day we don't identify with Christ, that sin nature has a little bit more influence. And, and every moment that we say to God, I'll take it from here, that sin nature has an inroad that he can begin to manipulate and, and persuade us to turn, not from sin, but from Jesus. I'll be honest with you, I've had those times in my life where I felt like I'd been on point with the sanctification process. Like I've been doing really good. I've been praying, reading my Bible and journaling and reading books and listening to sermons and, and different things like that. And I just really felt like I was connecting and close to the Lord. I could hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me and convicting me. And I was repenting of sins. And man, I felt like I was reflecting the nature of God really, really well. And uh, thought patterns begin to change. And, and um, man, I'm just, I'm just, boy, I'm becoming like Jesus. And then for whatever reason, I don't know where or why. It changes, and, and you just lose the fervor. And instead of focusing on Christ every day, you just begin to focus on other things. Has anybody ever been there? Like, man, I was strong, and I was going, and I was, I was on fire, and then something happened, and I can't even tell you what it was. And it wasn't this gross sin or, or something terrible. I just wasn't focusing on Christ anymore. And, and it's not like... I, cared, I could care less about Jesus. It was just that I began to care a little bit less than I did the day before. And, and, and I wasn't looking necessarily towards sin, but I wasn't looking at the cross either. I wasn't turning my back on him. He just wasn't my top priority. And as I look back, I can, I can tell you what that was. That's my sinful nature at war inside of me. It's not turning to Jesus every day. It's not relying on God to do the sanctifying work inside of me. It's saying, God, thank you for doing the work. I'm pretty good now. I think I got this thing figured out. I'll take it from here. And Paul addressed this very thing in Romans 7. You gotta remember who Paul is. Paul is like the super apostle. If there's anybody who's got it figured out, it's Paul. Paul's the guy who says, for me to live is Christ, but to die would be even better because then I get to go to heaven and I get to be with him. I mean, I mean, Paul, if there was anybody who could just uh, grit and sanctify himself, it was Paul. But sanctification is a process that we are not capable of on our own. Nobody can do this process of sanctification on their own. I can't do sanctification on my own. Pastor Mel can't do sanctification on his own. Although sometimes we think maybe he could. Paul couldn't do sanctification on his own. Romans chapter 7 verse 14 says this, For we know, this is Paul saying this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. This is Paul saying this. He says, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Can anybody relate to this? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Can anybody relate to that? 
I want to do the right thing. I can't. I have the desire to do what is right, but it seems like as hard as I try, I just can't do it on my own. I can't get this thing figured out. Paul has this burning desire to put on the nature of Christ, to be sanctified, but the flesh is too powerful. It's too strong. He has the desire, but not the ability. Melissa and I were married for uh, just a few months when uh, we had to go to Illinois. I was a part of the basketball team there at CBC, and one of our ministry requirements was to go there, and, and we were serving at a pastor's kids retreat. And our responsibility was to be like the counselors and the dorm leaders there. And um, Melissa and I were married, so Melissa came too, and, and she was, you know, leading one of the girls' rooms. And this one night, it was like a party night. They had inflatables up everywhere. And the whole basketball team, we kind of neglected our duties and watched the kid, from watching the kids, and we started playing on the inflatables on our own. And there was this one that was really cool. It was like this long runway thing, and it had a, a gigantic pillar in the middle, and you couldn't see around this pillar. And on this side, it had an inflatable basketball hoop, and on this side, it had an inflatable basketball hoop. And, and what they did, there was a hole through that pillar, and um, they, there was one bungee cord that connected both people. And the idea was to every, both people stand close to this pillar, and then on, like, go, you both ran in the opposite directions to try to score your basketball hoop, and the stronger one would win, and the other one would get pulled back. And, and it was just, it was lots of fun to watch. And we had all the big guys on the basketball team. They were running, and, and uh, they would go back, and they would stretch really hard, and then they'd kind of, you know, come back. And, you know, you kind of had to be the same weight, so, so it, was, it was on there, and, and it was appropriate, and it worked best. And, and Melissa was the only one in our group that was a girl and um, there was no other girls for Melissa to go against and she wanted to do it and so she said Chris I'll go with you which was kind of offensive um, but but I was the smallest one on the team and you know she was my wife so so let's do this and and we get in there we get all strapped up and harnessed up and we got our bungee that's connected us together and we go but I take it kind of easy and I go light and I can kind of feel her tugging but you know she's a girl and I'm a man, and so I, I pull her over, and then I, I dunk the ball, and, and she just couldn't, she couldn't do it. She had the ability to play the game, but she just, or she had the desire to play the game, but not the ability. And so we went a couple times, and so I, I had this bright idea. I said, okay, Melissa, this time I'm going to go as hard as I can. And she said, okay. And so I'm like, oh, sweet, we're going to do this. And so, and so somebody said go, and I took off running as hard as I could to, to dunk that ball, and I was really disappointed because she didn't try. She didn't even go. I felt like she's just standing there like, that dummy, he's just going to go do it. Um, but so I get all the way to the hoop, and I slam the ball in the hoop, and as soon as I'm slamming the ball in the hoop, going through the disappointment that Melissa didn't even try, I hear all the other basketball team go, oh, and they come rushing up onto the inflatable and they go, oh, Melissa, are you okay? Because she had gone. I was just too strong. I didn't even feel her. You know what I'm talking about? And so she goes that way and, and, and my mass pulls her this way and as soon as she got to her limit, she came flying back in this like mess of like arms and, and you know, just limbs and everywhere and she's just crumpled up into this little ball. I'm like, oh, I killed her. And um, I go over there, I'm like, oh, Melissa, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. She says, let's do it again. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it again. She says, let's do it again, and I want you to go as hard as you can. Okay. You know, she's not dead. She's not mad at me, I don't think. Um, but she did give me a look that I come to know later that I should have been scared of at the moment. Um, but she says, you go as hard as you can. All right, this shows you how smart I am. I'm just stupid. I'm, let's do it again, you know. 
Okay, same thing's going to happen here. And uh, so we line up. I'm getting ready to go this way. I'm geared up to, to, you know, just crumble her again. And we're getting ready to go. Um, What I didn't realize, because I couldn't see around the pillar, is that she had invited two of the biggest guys on the basketball team up there to hold her rope with her. And this time, we go, and I go this way as hard as I can. The three of them go that way as hard as they can, and I'm the one who gets jerked back and crumbled, and I'm laying there like seeing Tweety Birds fly around my head. And I got no, oh, no sympathies, no, are you okay? It was, that's what you get, you big jerk, you know? <laughs> you see, Melissa had the desire to play the game, but she didn't have the ability to carry it out. And so she convinced me to go again. And when she did, she didn't rely on her own strength. She called people that were stronger than her to participate. But listen, and this is the point. Those people that she called to participate and to help her were not only stronger than her, they were stronger than me. That's the key. They were stronger than me. Paul is saying, I have the desire, but I, have, I don't have the ability. The flesh is too strong. The pull of sin is too strong. And so he calls on someone that is not just stronger than him. It's stronger than the sin that's defeating him. Paul is saying, When you try to do what's right, the flesh is too strong. The pull is too strong. But when you invite the Spirit of God to live inside of you, the process of sanctification is stronger than the sin that so easily ensnares and easily entangles. Jesus will do in you what you're not able to do in yourself because not only is he stronger than you, he's stronger than sin. You don't need a pastor to help you. Because sin is stronger than the pastor. You don't need a mentor or a, or a grandparent. You need a savior who is stronger than sin. It's a battle that we're not capable of winning on our own without the help of Jesus. Sanctification is not separating from evil. It's drawing closer to Christ. It's becoming more like him. It's not putting distance between yourself and evil. It's closing the distance between yourself and Christ. What I'm saying is that our mission is not to eradicate the curse, but to embrace the Christ. Could you stand to your feet with me? We're getting ready to close. There are many of us who believe that everything stops at salvation, but the reality is that's only the beginning. That's just the beginning. We need God's grace at salvation, and we need God's daily grace and sanctification. And I'm sure of this, I'm convinced of this for your life, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. That God himself will sanctify you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit myNSAG.com.